Today, I'm going to be talking to you about having the right heart. And, and I believe that all of us can agree right now that there is so much to be done, right? Every single day of your life is jam-packed. It's full. You, you, sometimes our schedules work us. We don't work our schedules, but our schedules work us, don't they? But there's a lot to be done in the kingdom. You know, it's really a privilege. If you're looking at it in the right perspective, it really and truly is a privilege to be part of what God is doing, not only in his church, but just on this world, in this world in general. And I want us to think about some things today. We're going to talk about having the right heart and, you know, the way that we treat people. It's not just the way that we, we think about things, but it's the way, the way you treat people comes around with the condition of your heart. Is your heart Right. Today we're going to be looking in Isaiah chapter 58, and it's, it's a really, if you've never read the entire chapter of Isaiah 58, please make sure when you leave here you'll do it. We're only going to go through nine verses today, but it, you really will be blessed by reading it. And the main message in Isaiah chapter 58 is, you know, where God is saying he just doesn't want us to do religious works. I believe the church can be guilty very guilty of just doing religious works. We're, we're busy in the church. We're doing things. We're, we're making things happen. But he also just doesn't want us to try to impress him. God does not want you to try to impress him. What he wants us to do, church, is he wants us to get the sin out of our lives, and he wants us to treat people right. That's the bottom line of Isaiah 58. And I believe, church, me personally, I believe that God is much more concerned about why we do the things that we do than he is with what we do. I want you to get that this morning. God is much more concerned about why we do the things that we do so much more than the things that we actually do. Church, we do live in an image-driven culture, right? Everybody is always worried, what do you think about me? What do I look like? What do people believe about me? We are trapped in an image-driven culture. And people are more concerned about their image than they are their character. And character is who you are when nobody's watching. That's what character is. And to be worried about more about your image than your character, church, that's wrong. In case you didn't know that, it's wrong. See, we are to become godly men and women. And if we become godly, then once you become godly, you can truly influence and affect so many people around you way more than if you just worry about your image. So if we become godly and we begin affecting people, do you realize that there should be, there should be enough Jesus oozing out of you? Think that for a minute. I mean, he's oozing right out of you. There should be enough Jesus oozing right out of you that people would notice that there's something different about you and I. They'll see it immediately. They don't have to see your bumper sticker that says, you know, Jesus is cool or whatever you got on your car. They don't have to see that. They don't have to see your, your beautiful cross necklace. They don't have to see your, see your sweet churchy shirt that you wear. There's nothing wrong with those things. But there's something wrong if we have those things and we don't have the character to back it up. I told you a long time ago, I got rid of some of my Wellsville First Christian Church t-shirts. I had a ton of them. Gave them to Goodwill. <laughs> I don't know what happened to them. Somebody got them. <laughs> and I saw some lady one time at Walmart wearing one of our shirts, and she had a very foul mouth up at the front register. And I started thinking about, is that my shirt you got on? <laughs> I want it back. 
she wasn't representing well, and she didn't go to this church because I looked very closely the next Sunday to make sure. But think about this, church. There's something wrong if we don't have a character to back up the things that we profess to be. And, and you know, when we look at the things in our life, you and I, we should always be looking at the things in our lives. And we should be asking ourselves this question, why am I doing this? Think about it. your life in general, whatever it is that you're doing, you should always ask that question, why are you doing this? You know, when you give somebody a gift, Christmas time, birthday, whatever it is, when you give somebody a gift, do you give them that gift so they appreciate you? Do you give them that gift so they'll give you a gift back? Do you give that gift so you appear to be generous? Or do we give that gift because we love that person and we really want to give it? I mean, what is the reason that you're giving that gift? So what is your motive? You're going to be asked that so many times today. What is your motive? You know, why did I say yes to doing this? How many of you have ever said yes that you will do something and then you end up at that event, whatever it is, party, event, whatever, and you're sitting there going like, man, why did I say yes to this? You're sitting there and you're dreading the fact that you said yes, and maybe you're even thinking, we're going to be honest here today, right? Maybe you're even thinking like, I don't even like the person that asked me to be here today. Why am I here? We have those regrets, don't we? And that happens a lot. And this is what causes so much stressed out, overloaded people to appear on this earth. We're all doing all kinds of things, church. Some of them have no anointing or no leading from God for us to do. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 58, if you will. Isaiah chapter 58, we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. So God is asking Isaiah, he's saying this, I want you to go tell the people all about themselves. You tell them. He's saying, tell them about their sins. Tell them about, about what they're doing wrong in their life. And that's a pretty big task. If any of you have ever preached whatsoever, maybe even just a fill-in, whatever, it's extremely difficult. Preachers struggle with this today. I had a guy tell me just very recently, he told me, he said, I never realized Wellsville First Christian Church was such a violent church. I said, Violent? And I'm just staring at him, like my mouth probably dropped. I'm like, all right, who did something to you? Did somebody hit you? Did someone say something nasty to you? You know, threaten you, whatever it might be. And he said, no. He said, this church is a very violent church. He said, every time I come here, somebody punches me in the stomach. Every time I come here, somebody stomps on my feet and somebody slaps me in the face. I'm a slow learner, okay? I said, who? He said, your sermons, church, that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, when God told Isaiah, he said, I want you to go to my people and you tell them about themselves. You know, people don't want to hear, right? There's nobody who loves it when someone tells them how wrong they are. Nobody likes that, do you? We hate to be told that we're wrong. People don't want to hear it. When you tell someone that they're wrong, when you tell them they've got to change some things, they struggle with it. But church, you realize that God is not going to look at us and pat you on the head all the time and just encourage you all the time. Our God is a loving God. He is. He's a merciful God, but he's not always going to do that. He's going to tell you about yourself. 
And the reason that he does this, God wants to confront us so that he can help us. He wants to confront us because he wants to help us. And part of the goal of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to convict us. It is to convict us when we are doing something that we shouldn't be doing. Nobody likes to be convicted. We all struggle with that, right? We hate it when we realize that we're wrong, and we hate it even more when we got to change something. How many of you hate to admit that you're wrong? I'm talking about you will pull out all stops and all punches, and you will argue all day long. That sky is not blue, it's gray, just so you won't be wrong. But the, the goal of the Holy Spirit is to convict us where we are doing wrong. But too many times, what happens is, you know, we'll see people come to church. Happens a lot. Someone who's seeking, they're like, man, I know I need something more in my life. I need something better than what I have. And they come to church, and the preacher's up there talking, and he's saying all these things. And you know what they feel like? They're like, oh, great, another thing I'm doing wrong. And after two or three times visiting a church, it happens a lot. It really does. They'll just quit coming because they don't like the conviction. But you know what? We need to have that attitude when we're convicted. Kind of that attitude like, you know, thank you, God, that you love me enough. That, that you won't leave me. That you won't let me continue to live that life. Leave me in that mess and let me believe that there's nothing wrong in my life. Church, I was told very, very, by a very wise man a long time ago in Bible college, he told me this. He said, we've got to stop letting people go to hell happy. I've said that a lot of times from the pulpit. And what that means is you can't let them think that they're okay. You correct and rebuke and love, the Bible says. Don't go slapping people with it. But you do it very lovingly. I love what Paul told Timothy. Paul told Timothy this. He said, Timothy, I want you to warn. I want you to urge. I want you to encourage. And he also said this. He said, I want you to rebuke in your teaching. He didn't just say, Timothy, you encourage everybody. Make them feel good. Make them happy with their life. He said, I want you to rebuke. I want you to warn. And I want you to urge. And you know why Paul said this, church? Because all of us, we're all flesh. And we're prone to mess up. Some of you, you woke up at 8 o'clock. At 8.05, you already messed it up today. You did, myself included. Because of what we're thinking and maybe what we're doing or, or what we're saying. So church, we need to keep hearing it. You need to keep hearing it and you need to keep hearing it. Some of you, you highlight and, and all these things in your Bible. You, I've seen some of your Bibles look like a coloring book. Got all these colors in it. But you know what? Doesn't mean that you know it yet. It doesn't mean that you got it down. So getting back to Isaiah 58, verse 2, it says this. Yet they seek me day by day and delight superficially to know my ways as if they were in reality a nation that has done righteousness and is not abandoned or turned away from the ordinance of their God. They ask me righteous judgments they delight in the nearness of God. Basically, church, he's saying, like, you know what? They do just a lot of religious stuff. He's saying, my people, they're just doing a lot of religious stuff. Stuff that's making it look okay. They weren't dealing with the issues of their life. They weren't dealing with the things that need to be dealt with, that God wanted them to deal with. And sometimes, church, you and I, we can be so busy in our lives. I'm talking crazy busy that you can't hear God trying to talk to you. You really can't. You can't hear him talking to you 
because you're not paying attention. You want God to speak to you. The problem is he, you can't hear him because you're not spending time with him. You're not. You're not spending time with him in his word. I hear a lot of people speaking about revival. I hear a lot in the, in the past couple years, revival, revival. We do need revival, church. I love revival. I love personal revival. I love church revival. I would love to see revival sweep this nation. But you know what? It comes down to this, us recognizing, us spending time, us listening to God. When you have those things, revival will come across the land. Isaiah 58, verse 3 and 4 says this. So why have we fasted, they say, and you do not see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? They're talking to God here. He said, hear this, O Israel, on the day of your fast, when you should be grieving for your sins, you find something you desire to do, and you force your hired servants to work instead of stopping all work, as the law teaches. The facts are that you fast only for strife and brawling and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You do not fast as you do today to make your voice heard on high. He basically was saying, all right, you're not eating. All you're doing is just missing some meals. You're just going on some kind of diet. You aren't eating because the, the reason you're supposed to fast is to be feeling and recognizing what it is I'm doing. It, it's a time of observance, recognizing and listening for my voice. You might even feel spiritual when you do that, church. You might feel spiritual when you fast, but in verse 4, he's saying, you're missing some meals, but yet you're mistreating people. You're supposed to be fasting, but you're mistreating people. You're not treating people right because you're still fighting is what he's saying. You're still fighting amongst yourselves. So this morning, church, how many of us is Isaiah 58 speaking to? How many of us, is this exactly what we need to hear that it's speaking to us? See, we do religious things. We come to church, we serve, maybe we teach the kids. You, you sing your heart out while praise and worship's going on. And you know what? You never maybe recognize God calling you. Maybe you're still treating people bad. Church, you realize that God is gracious he never stops loving you. He, he's not turning his back on you. He's merciful. But you know what? God does expect us to do certain things. There's an expectation there. You can't be like, God, what all are you going to do for me? Because we have that attitude sometimes. Like, God, come on. I'm doing these things. What, what are you going to do for me? Because I, I'm doing these things. To be a Christian, to be a follower of, of Jesus Christ, it, it, it doesn't mean that we just go to church. Because you know what? you got six other days of the week. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it means you are living it day by day. You might fail some, but you recognize that you fail. You are trying your hardest to do what it is that God has called you to do. And see, we all have those times in our lives, we do, every single one of us, where you couldn't tell the difference between ourselves as Christians and unbelievers. It happens. I can remember the times where I just, I would go along with the flow and, and I, all right, yeah, this way everyone's going, I'm going to go along too. You know, that I would be laughing at the things I shouldn't be laughing at. I would be doing the things I shouldn't be doing, but yet I would still tell people that I was a Christian. And in my former job, I remember one time this guy, and I, I really believe he was not a Christian, but I believe the Lord used him for me. 
he, I said something to him, and he said, he said, cut it with the choir boy stuff, Blakely. I was like, what? <laughs> but you know what? He was right. He was right. And it made me realize that, you know what? I was trying to act a certain way, but I wasn't living it right. You know, there's maybe a time in your life that you're struggling. Maybe it's right now that you're not being different, that you are acting just like the rest of the world, but that is where the Holy Spirit convicts us so we can get back on track. Church, the more you follow him in everything you do, the more that you're gonna enjoy the life that God has given you. The more that you follow him in every single thing you do. Remember, God has a life prepared for you. The Bible says it's good, pleasing, and perfect. The life he's prepared for you is good, pleasing, and perfect. And so the more that you follow him, the more you're going to enjoy the life that he's given to you. You ever met somebody that just enjoys life in general? You know, sometimes it like even makes you sick. You're like, man, why are you always so happy? They're always just enjoying what it is that God has given them because they're following the life that he has prepared for them. And the same can be for me and for you. The more you follow him in everything you do, the more you're gonna enjoy that life that he's given you. See, God is more interested in your heart He's more interested in the condition of your heart than why we do things. In church, we should be doing things to glorify him. Isaiah chapter 58, going back to it here, check out verse five with me, it says this. Is a fast such as this what I have chosen, a day for a man to humble himself with sorrow in his soul? Is it only to bow down his head like a reed to make a sackcloth in ashes as a bed, pretending to have a repentant heart? Do you call this a fast in a day pleasing to the Lord? Church, he's calling it out right here. He, he's not mixing up words. He, he's talking about it's the condition of your heart. It, it's your attitude. It's the way that you're treating people. And man, it makes you think. You know, we can think we're spiritual because we go to church, because, because we serve in church, and maybe, just maybe, you're fasting once a year. You know what? You got your cross t-shirt. You got your, your, your gold necklace. You, you got your Bible, big Bible study, you know, that you go to. But how are you treating people? How exactly are you treating people? Isaiah chapter 58 verse 6 says this. Rather, is this not the fast which I choose to undo the bonds of wickedness, to tear to pieces the ropes of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break apart every enslaving yoke? To get down to it, no beating around the bush, no dancing the dance, none of that kind of stuff. He's just saying this in effect. If you really want to fast, if you really and truly want to do what's right, Stop going around acting all holier than thou. Stop, stop your sinning. Stop your gossiping. Stop the, 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 the things that causes the evilness and the wickedness in your heart. And then he says, demonstrate your faith with your conduct. Church, that is what verse six is basically telling us. Walk that walk. You're talking it, you gotta walk it. To be honest with yourself, to be honest with others. You know where he says, if you think you're pleasing me with your religious form, you're not. That's what God says. Verse 7 says this. 
Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into the house, and when you see the naked that you cover him, and not to hide yourself from the needs of your own flesh and blood? He's saying right there, church, you go ahead, you feed the hungry. You do good works, you help the poor, and while you're doing all this ministry for everybody else, don't forget your family. Sometimes we forget our own family, church. You know, when, when I got called into ministry, I, luckily I was a little bit older and wiser, and, and my kids were older too. But I, I understood the, the stresses of it early on, and, and I told my, my wife and my boys, I said, listen, if I'm going to take this job, we have to have an agreement here. When you really need me, when you really need me, you say, I need you. I'll, I'll cancel a meeting. I will, I will come home. Don't, but don't you dare say, I need you. And I come home and, hey, will you get me a gallon of milk? That ain't going to float. If you really need me, you will need me. Because, church, it's so easy doing ministry. And I'm not talking preacher. All of you, those of you who are doing ministry, it's easy to neglect your own family. Because you see all these fires going on out there and you want to fix and you want to help and you want to be obedient to God. You want to feed the, the hungry and you want to help clothe the poor. You want to do all these great things, but don't forget your family. Do you realize that your family is your number one ministry? God told us that. Your family is your number one ministry. You've got to take care of your family first before you branch out and help everybody else. We're called to ministry. All of you are called to ministry and helping other people, but you make sure your family is taken care of first. Don't you dare leave that responsibility to somebody else. Men, I'm talking to you guys right now. Listen to me. Men, those of you who have a wife and kids especially, your number one job is to minister to your family. You supply and you minister. That's your job. And man, is it stinks sometimes, doesn't it? I always tell the couples when I'm doing pre-marriage counseling, I break it down because sometimes us guys are a little bit dumb. There's three people in the family, husband, wife, and one child. You got two Hershey bars. Hey, dude, you don't get one. That's it. That's taking care of your family first. You got a beautiful, loving wife. She's going to split hers with you anyways. But guys, listen, your family, your children, those you have kids, you got one shot. One shot. Do the best you can. Minister to your family. Check out Isaiah chapter 58, verse 8 and 9. It says this, then your light will break out like the dawn. Your healing, restoration, new life will quickly spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you, leading you to peace and prosperity. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you take away from your midst of the yoke of oppression, the finger pointed and the scorn toward the oppressed or the godly in every form of wicked, sinful, unjust speech. I'm going to stop right there, church. That verse is awesome. You know why it is? Because it's all the things we want. He's telling us in his word right there, when you were taking care of those important things I mentioned earlier, first, he's saying all those things that you want, I'm talking about the need to be healed. I'm talking about, about the, the need to prosper properly, by the way, the need to prosper properly. 
doesn't mean money. The need to have a brand new life. And church, if this is what you want, this is exactly how you get it. Isaiah chapter 58. You want all that stuff? That's how you get it. Your heart's got to be right. You got to be helping people. You got to have the right thought process. It can't be all about you. Because in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 it says this. Therefore, see that you walk carefully. That means living a life with honor, with purpose, with courage. That's what that means. Shunning those who tolerate or enable the evil around you. And it says, so therefore, see that you walk carefully, not as the unwise, but as the wise. I'm talking sensible. I'm talking intelligent. I'm talking discerning people. Those are the wise people. So basically saying in Ephesians, he's saying, you better look carefully how you live. Watch how you're living. Pay attention to that. Take some time to take a, a personal inventory. Ask yourself, church. Ask yourself questions. You know, who have I helped lately? Who is it I have helped lately? You know, have I, I don't have anybody this week maybe I have helped. Have I done something for somebody besides myself this week? Have I been a blessing to somebody at church today, or am I only going to get my blessing? What is it that you're doing, church? Ask yourself these things. You know, I've been, have I been praying to God to, to meet the need of so-and-so when actually I could meet that need if I wasn't so stinking cheap? Ask yourself these things. Hey, you asked me to preach. I'm up here preaching to you today, okay? Amen. So what's your motive, church? Seriously, what's your motive? What's your motive in what you do? See, God is more interested in pure hearts than he is our religious works. He's more interested in pure hearts because if your heart is not good, then what's it for? Then what are you doing it for? See, God pushes hard on me all the time with my motives. He really does. God really and truly pushes hard on me about my motives. You know, why am I doing this? Because I come from a background of sales, for 21 years, it was entrenched in my mind. You say this to get this. You do this so you can get this. They teach you that. You, you got to say the right thing so you can get the sale. You got to do the right thing so you can get the sale. You do whatever it takes. That's what they tell you. So your motives were not always pure because your main job was to get the sale. And so God has been working on me, and he's often, he's often telling me to check my motives like, Mark, why are you doing this? You know, why are you saying this? What, why are, why, what is your motive on this? And he also sent me a wife that keeps me in check because every once in a while Mary will say, don't pull your salesman stuff on me because I lay the groundwork, you know what I'm talking about, to, get, to laying it out to get what I want. But we are called the love church and we're called to serve. We're called to love others and we're called to serve each other. Jesus not only preached the gospel, but also he had a very practical application. Jesus was very practical in his application because all the time, what was he doing? He was helping others. He was helping others. First Corinthians chapter three, if you'll look at this with me. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 says this, because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Church, he is the foundation. So you be careful. Man, I've seen so many people build a life with no foundation. They build this life, and you know what? As soon as hard times set in, as soon as difficulties of life, and guess what? You're going to get it. The Bible says it, right? You will have troubles. It just that depends on what day it's going to be. They build on no foundation in their life. And as soon as all that comes, it just gets wiped away. And then they stand there going like, what went wrong? Well, how come I feel like this? Why can't I get over this? Why can't I come over top of this mountain of my life that's in shambles now? It's because they did not build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He is our foundation. He's the foundation of our lives. The only reason, church, we are here doing what we're doing here in this church today, it is because of what Jesus has done in our lives and in verse 12, it says this, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. And verse 13 goes on to say this, but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. Church, in the book of Revelation, it says this, and this imagery is amazing to me. It says in the book of Revelation that Jesus will come back and his eyes will have flames coming out of them. Can you picture, I mean, Jesus, I mean, flames coming out of his eyes. And so I imagine something for a moment. I wonder if we stand before Christ and his fire, his love, church, it's his love, will burn away everything in our lives. It will burn away all the things, all the works in our life that was impure, it will be burned up. The only ones that will be left to get any rewards will be the pure ones. If I stand up here and preach to you today for my own personal motives, not because God has called me or not because I love people, if I'm doing it for myself, it's going to be burned away. When I stand before the Lord, he's going to be like, Nix, that one's out. You did that for yourself. That was not for my people. See, our pure motives, church, will stand on their own. And do you realize we're all going to be judged? You're not going to be judged on your salvation. Make sure you get this straight, church. You are not going to be judged on your salvation because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have accepted Jesus Christ, your name, the Bible says, is written in the book, right? In the Lamb's book of life. So you won't even be asked about that. It's already written there. But you know what? The Bible says clearly we will be judged on our works. Very clear. You're going to be judged on what you did. So today, I'm totally wasting my time if I'm up here just to impress you. Totally wasting my time. Because my motives aren't pure. If I'm doing this for myself, my motives are impure. It's for nothing. So I want to give you a few of the wrong reasons that we do things. A few of the wrong reasons we do things. The first one is this. Don't do things thinking that God owes you something. I see a lot of people, they're doing things thinking, God owes me, right? The Bible says I'm supposed to tithe. Well, if I tithe, he says he's going to bless me. So I'm going to tithe so he gives me some, right? That's like me coming to you and saying, hey, I bought you a Christmas present. 
because I want you to buy me one. So you, if you're doing it that way, if you're tithing, if you're giving your money to the Lord just so he will give you something back, mm-mm, bad motives. Your heart's not right. If you do kind things just so God will give you something that you want, bad motives. Church, what are your motives this morning? When you have trouble in our lives, how many of you think, man, it's all right to have a weak moment because we all do every once in a while. But when you have bad trouble in your life, how many of you say, God, I've been faithful. I've been faithful in serving you. How could you possibly let this happen to me? Mm, Your motives are wrong. Your, Your motives are wrong. God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe us anything Everything that God does from us, for us, is meaning that you are blessed beyond measure that he did it for you. He doesn't owe you anything. You know what? If he owed you something, it's not what you want. What you deserve, he is willing to not give you. He doesn't owe you anything. I recently talked to a guy. We were talking, and and he was telling me he prayed for his wife. She had cancer really bad. And he prayed, and, and he prayed for, for his wife to be healed of cancer, but it did not happen. She went home to be with the Lord, and the man was mad at God, and he said, you know what? I served you all those years. I served you all those years, and, and, and I don't know how you could let this happen. And, and he even told me, he said, I kind of shook my fist at God. And said, where were you when my wife died? And this guy told me that God spoke to his heart, and he said, I was in the same exact place that I was in when my son died. I was in the same place. Church, God doesn't owe me because I'm preaching his word. God doesn't owe you because you get up and pray for five hours straight. You're doing that by the grace of God. How many times in a church do we sit there and say, you know what, I I deserve this because of all the work I do. You don't deserve anything. You don't deserve it. Again, what we really deserve, trust me, you don't want it. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So we forget the other end of how much we've offended God by our hearts, how much we've offended him by our thoughts, how much we've offended God by our actions. And we should have the attitude that, God, I don't deserve anything, but you know what? I'm thankful for everything that you give me. And when we find ourselves doing things, church, when we find ourselves doing things to impress other people, that is not a good reason to do it. There's a lot of reasons to do things, but it's not to impress people. You should do things because you love people. You should do things because you love the Lord and you want to honor what his word says we're to do. You do it because you love somebody else. So church, I want to tell you again this morning, you got to make sure your motives are right. Make sure that your motives are right and that you show the motives of your heart. As I ask the praise team to come up here, we get ready to wrap up this service. How many of you have ever asked God to reveal the motives to you? You better buckle up. I'm talking about you go to God and you say, you know what, Lord, show me. Show me where I'm wrong in my heart. You know, God, I I want you to, to do something in me. I want you to change the way I think. I want you to change the way I'm feeling. I want you to change the way I'm seeing things. 
you know what? I ask you all this morning to check your hearts. Check your hearts this morning. If God's word is not living inside of you, if God's word is not living and active, I'm talking about speaking to your heart this morning. Guess what? Honestly, it's on you. It's because you've separated yourself from him. It means you're not in his word. It means that you're, you haven't opened yourself up to letting God work in your life. And also it means that you haven't followed that conviction that leads us away from our sinfulness and leads us straight into righteousness. That you're not following that conviction. And today I want, I want you to let God, you gotta let him church, to point out those impure motives. And once he points them out, I wanna encourage you to confess them to him. Say, that's right, you're right, Lord. That's who I am. That's where I struggle. And then you ask God to change your heart. I mean, you ask him to change your heart and, and then let him know. You let him know, I wanna serve you, Lord. I wanna honor your word. I, I wanna show you that I don't wanna be just involved in religious activity, but I wanna be intimate with you. That's my desire. Church, every single person sitting here and those who are watching online today, every single one of us have a deep spiritual need. I mean, it's deep. And that deep spiritual need is to have a relationship with God. So I want to encourage you to stop filling your heart with things that are not of Him. Recognize your need for forgiveness. Recognize your need for salvation. And also recognize Jesus Christ for who he is. And this morning, man, if this message got to you, I'm talking about seriously, you're sitting there feeling that conviction and you're struggling right now. That's the Holy Spirit calling you out. I want to encourage you, walk right down that aisle today. Elders will be up here. Kim will be up here. We would love to minister to you today. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ. Let today be the day where you say, that's it. I'm tired of this old garbage life that I have. I want the brand new one that he promised me in his word. That's good, pleasing, and perfect. Because he made it just for you. If that's for you today, please come down. And the rest of you believers who are sitting here today, and maybe you're realizing that your motives are not right. There's always a chance to come home every single day. All you gotta do is say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. And he will make it right. So how about it, church? Let's stand together and let's sing. But I wanna encourage you to respond this morning.